Yes. People say, oh, I've got a second language in Spanish. And I think that's really, really amazing. But yeah, Latin is my base language. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't string a sentence, but I can give you a lot of, uh, of verbs and, yeah, and a lot of nouns. <laughs> Uh, but when you see it for the first time, it, I can remember just, just kind of like going, Harry oh, Potter spell, doesn't get, it? Yeah, it's just, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Harry Potter, the basis for most everything in yeah. stone therapies. <laughs> <laughs> joining us here at Therapy Unwound, the space that is here for all of us to take a deep dive into the wonderful world of therapeutics. Thank you for following us on YouTube, Spotify and the old Instagrams. It's been wonderful to get to know you on the socials and I can't thank you enough for the amount of shares, downloads, likes and most importantly, subscriptions. If you'd like to support the struggle here at Therapy Unwounds, please head over to our Ko-Fi account and sponsor a coffee or three. I know the team would be greatly appreciative. But today we are joined by the delightful Mike Colton. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. You've travelled quite a way to be with us today. Uh, yeah, I mean, not that far. Uh, not that far. I'm just uh, just in Kent. So, you know, about an hour and a half, but um, worth the journey. Excellent. It's great to have you here. And um, thank you for making the effort. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> so can you tell our listeners what you do? Ah, uh, Good question. So uh, I'm a, a clinical massage therapist, I think is the quick answer. Yeah. Um, I specialize in chronic pain um, and I see a lot of people ranging from sports injuries through to, you know, oncology patients, uh, quite a broad range of people uh, in common. They're all, all in pain in some way or another. Pain's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's so personal. It is. It is. It comes in a lot of different forms. And, and I think sometimes people aren't always aware of, of the pain that they're in as well, which is a really interesting one. So with your background, tell us where you've come from, because you're full time in clinical massage now. But what's gone before then? I am, yeah. So, like I say, the quick version, I guess. Um, I I did a, a sports science degree and a bit of a history of biomechanics and and strength and conditioning. Um, but then I went into the NHS. So I qualified as a orthopedic practitioner, and, and and spent thirteen years working in the NHS environment. Part of that was in the acute setting, so I spent a lot of time dealing with people coming through A and E. Um, but then also a lot of chronic pain patients, fitting people with braces uh, and, and splints and other things to try and alleviate their ailments, but not as hands-on as, as what I do now. And then transitioned into what I do now, uh, did some extra training, did a, another degree in clinical massage and was able to help the patients I was seeing in the hospital a little bit more than I was in the NHS setting. So uh, slowly transitioned out of the NHS. And now you're full-time. I am, yes. Uh, only It's been about six months now that I've completely come away. But yeah, I've not looked back. It's uh, I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. It's quite, an, uh, quite a privilege to be in the profession that we're in, I think. Oh, it is. The job satisfaction, I think, is more than you get in most professions, definitely. I just love the fact that every time you open the door to a client, they're happy to see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get the occasional... Uh, you get the occasional patient that, you know, not all 
treatments can be completely comfortable and and so you know they do sometimes comment that you know they're back for their torture <laughs> anybody who's had a psoas release with me will know that yes. right now <laughs> <laughs> definitely they're uh, they're top of the list i think absolutely i always say well we'll work out of a kind of like the top pain range that we'll work at is six out of ten apart from two psoas and subscapula yeah and then yeah and then it, all yeah all, cards all bets are off, are off at that point yeah <laughs> So with your experience doing orthopedics in the NHS, why was it that you found that what we call clinical massage, or if you're in the States, medical massage, maybe physical therapy, somewhere around there, why did you feel that that was a route that you wanted to go down? I I mean, it's a good question. Uh, You start to, after spending a while, especially in the NHS, it's a magnificent thing and it helps so many people. It really does. Um, but you also do see the shortcomings. And I think there is definitely a quite a large population that need help and, and are in a lot of pain that don't necessarily find the help that they need in that in the NHS. Slightly more specialist stuff mm. um, and things that are become a little bit more complicated. I think the NHS doesn't necessarily have the resource to spend or it's certainly not set up to spend the time delving into that. Um, it, you know, it does its best, but it's not as good as it could be. And so I saw quite quite a lot of patients come through that were being given solutions. But unfortunately, a lot of the time that was in the form of medication. Um, as I say, braces, splints that didn't necessarily fix the problem. They just helped them live with their life. Uh, we have pain clinics um, in, in the NHS that essentially serve as a, a clinic once you've been through your other clinics and they can't find an answer, you end up on the pain clinic. And, and it is literally about pain management. Um, and that's very difficult to see someone go down that route. And especially when you talk to people so much, I had the privilege of being able to spend a bit more time with those people. And when you hear their story, you know that they've certainly got a lot more to say than they can get out in their half hour appointment. It's heartbreaking, isn't it, at times? It is. Um, and it's there isn't really a solution, I don't think, in the NHS um, to to bridge that gap or to to give the people the the time that they need. Especially, you know, the resources are struggling and budgets are getting cut. And you know, we all know it. We've all seen it in in the news the the struggles of the NHS. And you know, sometimes they're just fighting to to keep waiting lists as they are, let alone you know try and improve them. So. There was a definite gap in in the market of patients that need that extra help. Mm, I think so. And it's I find it interesting, my conversations with clients, I think with the work that we do within our studios, it's not anti-anything. It's not anti the NHS. It's just no. like it just enables people to work within it better. If we can get kind of like a week's worth of clients to have some extra time as they work with the NHS care teams. Absolutely. That's just kind of like a really healthy relationship. And I find it quite interesting how in our kind of like culture in the UK, it has to be one or the other instead of actually, why can't it be both? Yeah, yeah. And and I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I've had a lot of, of patients that I've seen who have been under consultants that I work with, and they've been only too happy to hear that, They've seen me outside of their clinics and I've been able to help them. You know, they've they've all got waiting lists and they're not getting any shorter. And for every person that they can discharge and or help in another way, there are two more people to take their place. So there's no um, there's certainly no need for it being one or the other at all. I'm very into open handed kind of like 
therapeutic skill sets it's like i think we can all do stuff together yeah absolutely and it, and it goes the other way as well you know there's been times where i'll see patients and and they might need more than i can offer in the sense of of scans oh, or, sure, yeah. or you know perhaps they've got a sports injury maybe a meniscus tear and they they will need to see an orthopedic consultant and you know the referrals go the other way it's not it's not necessarily about trying to take the place of each other it's it's just about finding the most efficient way of helping people and and a way that helps as many people as possible i had a time around about a few years ago actually when clients were really nervous to tell me they'd been to their gp to get a scan it's like why aren't we celebrating that a we're in a country that does that i mean let's just get that out there but also as clinical massage therapists we don't have x-ray hands actually pictures can be really useful (laughs) Like Definitely. if we're given an X-ray or an MRI scan, it's like it makes our work oh, much better. Yeah, it saves us um, so much time. So much time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really does. And I, there are times where the relationship isn't cohabitable as it should be. And there are times I've had GPs before that uh, I had a young patient that I was treating with carpal tunnel, and he uh, he was at university on a, a music degree. Uh, and he came to me with with these pains and um, I treated him. He was back from university. He was thinking about ending his first year and redoing it the next year because he was struggling. And we worked with him, did a couple of sessions whilst he was back and, and got him pain free. And he was great. Uh, so he went back to uni, carried on with his first year. And he finished his first year, but the pain had come back and he came back and, and saw the GP. And his, unfortunately, GP's advice was to, um, he didn't know what it was. So he told him not to have any further treatment on it until they could work out what it was. Oh, shame. Yeah. And it, it is hard and, and really difficult to, to hear that, especially when he had already benefited from the treatment. You know, sometimes, you know, attitudes and perceptions just need to be worked on to be changed. But yeah. no, on, on the whole, I think there is a much more positive attitude from most in terms of working together and and, um, finding the right pathway for the patients. I love the way that you just slipped in carpal tunnel there, because I know that was a big (laughs) thing for you for quite a while of your life. It was, yes. Yeah, it wasn't a a plug, I promise. (laughs) No, (laughs) I just want to hear more about it because I'm really nosy. Um, You chose carpal tunnel for your end of year project for your degree, didn't you? I did. And tell us about um, how clinical massage therapy was implemented within that project for that specific pathology? Um, so, I mean, there is a lot of uh, research out there already, which I found as part of compiling the degree, that using manual therapy, release techniques on on different parts of the body, a lot of the neck, a lot of the shoulder, and, and maybe places you wouldn't necessarily immediately associate with carpal tunnel. Um, can be really effective in in treating carpal tunnel and, and a lot of the times just as, if not more effective than injections or, or surgery, which um, tends to be the treatment you get if you go down the NHS route. So yeah, the hands-on side of things is, is actually really, uh, really useful with treating that type of condition. So carpal tunnel, in my experience in cornerstone therapies, it can have a huge amount to do with the scalenes, which are in your neck. How do you find... Um, when people come and you say, oh, your wrist really hurts, but actually we're going to treat your neck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just not limited to carpal tunnel. I think that's um, a challenge with a lot of, you know, seeing in the chronic pain patients that come in. You try and give a little bit of 
education, I guess, mm. um, around why that is, uh, which is really important because, you know, you, people should understand what's happening in their bodies yeah. um, and they should understand the nerve pathways and how um, pressure on the nerve doesn't necessarily come from the point where you experience the pain and referred pain and, and what that means. I, I'll be honest, I do struggle to not get into a full-on anatomy lesson sometimes. Um, I, you know, I have a, a secret passion for, uh, for kind of teaching and, uh, and, you know, I love what I do. So I, I do find myself uh, going into it a little bit too much. And it's when they start to glaze over that you think, you know, it's, it's it is enough. that look. I remember doing kind of like this fascial, um, I was really in, I was really, um, excited about, excited is the wrong word, but I really was. I was quite excited about some, uh, clients' pec pain that they came in with because it was really tracking down. We could see it in the way that their arms were starting to rotate. And I had gone home and done this whole thing with cling film over our skeleton Gilbert to show them how this was working. Total glaze. <laughs> it's like, well, I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but chronic pain is kind of your thing, hey? It is. Yes. Um, it's something I enjoy and, and I, I enjoy spending time with people. Um, I don't know. I've got a bit of an inquisitive mind as well. Maybe in another life I should have been uh, a detective or something, but I like solving problems. And so the, the chronic pain, you know, as much as it, it gives a, a huge sense of job satisfaction with being able to help people. It's also really fascinating when you have to really get into a person's physical condition and and work out not just what is currently going on but what has gone on in the past and when you say chronic pain can you just give our audience an idea of the time frame that you would consider chronic ah good question when does acute become chronic um I mean, if you go through textbooks, you know it depends on the injury you're sometimes looking about a week to months but it it really does vary, and I would obviously never turn anyone away because they don't meet the criteria. Honestly, I would say we're we're talking closer to years than we are months. That a lot of people that I see, I I end up being the person at the end of the line once they've seen every other profession that there is going, you know, privately and and through the NHS, and uh, when they haven't got any more options, uh, then they find me. Yeah. I'm the same. I think the average pain story that we hear at Cornerstone is eight years. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes a lot longer, sometimes a bit shorter, but eight years seems to be the amount of time people have been seeing other practitioners and then suddenly think, oh, maybe soft tissue manipulation may be the thing. Absolutely. I've got someone uh, that I'm treating at the moment who um, has had issues that we're just getting into uh, around diaphragm and, and has actually had a cough of sorts since they were a teenager maybe a little bit earlier and they're now in their late 40s you know so it's it, it can be really surprising sometimes how long people go through that pain or you know just physical problems yeah i think and i also think when you say someone's had a cough for 30 years it's quite a sentence to have lived through and not only do you have the cough at that point you have additional scarring within the body that repetitive strain on all the muscles, lungs aren't working correctly. Can't imagine the hiccups, but yeah. you know, there's yeah. other stuff that goes along in that, isn't there? There is a huge amount of of physical trauma, and you know, dare I say it, mental trauma, mental trauma as well. Yeah. Um, you know, being the person that that coughs all the time, and you know, the social anxiety around coughing at the wrong time, and uh, it's huge. Yeah, job interviews, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's 
It's not. And I think that's the thing that I personally love about our work is that you allow time for those stories to be acknowledged and that fear to be acknowledged. And that's part of the therapy, I think. Oh, uh, I can't agree with you more. It's And to a point, I would say you can't fix that problem unless you include that in it. Oh, for sure. Even if you physiologically know how to fix whatever's going in the body, if you don't at least acknowledge um, in some way what the psychological uh, and social and emotional impact has been, uh, you, you will never fix it. So with chronic pain, how do you find that people approach it? At Cornerstone, for example, I have people who are rather embarrassed about their pain stories. Yeah, uh, I would also say that I think a lot of people don't give over their stories, uh, but maybe for the same reason. You really have to tease it out of them. Um, yeah, maybe you're right. I, I guess I hadn't necessarily thought about it in that way, but they don't want to give over that full story. Maybe they, they feel maybe it is an embarrassment or maybe they feel like um, they don't want to sound like they're you know, making a big deal out of something or, or you know, being high maintenance or uh, so they will just give you a snippet of what it is that they're going through. Yeah, I have a lot of that with the post-cancer operations, so post-operative work basically, but especially with the oncology work that I see is that when you've got those scarrings, they're very delicate because often they've been through radiotherapy. So you've got the radiotherapy fascial issue and then you've got the scarring and it's all a bit of a mess. And it can get really quite hot and painful. And it's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I live with it. It's okay. And my heart almost breaks because actually it's just like, no, this is where we're able to kind of like calm it. You have to create that space for them as well, um, which is is part of the process because in their world, they have spent 10 plus years telling people about their pain. And, you know, some of those people are, health professionals, some of those people are friends and family. But because it has been so long, unfortunately, you become desensitized to it. And it's not that their friends and family don't care about them. But after, you know, five years, six years, seven years of being in the same pain, it's very hard to project the same empathy about someone going through that. So they've learned to become insular about it. And it's really important to create that space and say, look, it is okay for you to tell me and I can really empathize and then you kind of go on to potentially we can help. Yeah and I think also when I have a client who springs to mind she she's been amazed that I have believed her pain pattern story and suddenly she's been given the space where you can say oh no I still feel this pain you know this is and I I can see how that pain emanates and you're giving validity in the treatment that we do to the pain that they're feeling. It's not just in their heads. I've heard a lot people say to me, I'm glad it's I'm glad I'm not going mad. Yeah. <laughs> exactly that <laughs> phrase. Yeah. That's something that comes out a lot. Yeah. And it's like, no, this I can and I think it's that time. I mean, we've talked in the past about the fact that our treatment sessions are long compared to the NHS. And it's that time to allow that pain story to come up as a big thing. Yeah, and, and you learn a lot more as well. Um, mm. People's recollection of, of their pain isn't always accurate. Yeah. When, when they have a time pressure put on it, you know, they have, I mean, who can fit 20 years worth of pain into, you know, a, a half hour uh, session? You, you just can't. And so 
I had a, a, a gentleman once that came in and he had neck pain and we went through a full history and said kind of all the fringe questions that you ask around, you know, do you, have you ever broken anything? Do you get headaches and, and all sorts of other questions? And, and you always have that. Is there anything else that, that might be relevant? No, no, you know, you know, that's it. Uh, and it wasn't until the end of the, towards the end of, you know, hour, hour and a half session, whilst he was on the couch, he uh, said to me, oh, I don't know, it might be relevant, but um, actually I broke my neck a few years ago. And, and it, you know, it, it then came out and it, it's, it's happens a lot. People, quite big, relevant things get lost. You think something like that would be at the forefront, but with the passage of time, people do forget. I find it's, I keep um, pain scores for my clients a lot. So I treat a lot of cluster migraines. I do a lot of head and neck work and it's not all I do, but I seem to be quite good at it. And they'll often come in and say, I'll have five migraines a day and they're about nine out of 10, have to be in a darkened room. Life is completely screwed. And then after a while of working, the headaches are getting better. And actually it's one headache a day and a paracetamol will do it and they will have forgotten where they started their treatment. And I think it's good for therapists to keep in mind that you don't remember pain. Why would you remember your pain? No. Like, as you get better. And I think it's it's lovely to see how people kind of going, oh, yeah, no, life's good. You know, I was able to drop the kids off, and it was all fine. And you know, I was able to go out and have a coffee, then I went shopping, and, you know, and I didn't have a headache. Yeah. It's like, that is life-changing. Yes, yes. You almost become the person in the film that time travels and saves uh, saves people, and then when you go back, no one ever knew that you did it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, you know, it's it's something I've said to to people before is I make really specific notes on pain levels and comments that patients come out with, so I can remind them of that later. Because yeah. um, I think that's a big important part of it is for them to see how far they've come because that the amount of negativity that comes with suffering with chronic pain needs to be offset with the positivity that they have come out of that. And I think that's such a, an important thing. But I do spend a lot of time convincing people um, <laughs> of, of how they used to be. Um, yes. They do forget, like you say, which is a who wants to remember pain. Um, but it is, yeah, it is good to know how far you've come. It makes it worthwhile, the work that they put in, because, you know, it's not it's not just me that's working on them. I will invariably give them a lot to do. Um, even if it's not necessarily exercises or strengthening it, it might be just activities or tasks to do to process things. Uh, but it's still a lot of work. Mm. Um, and, and they need to know that that effort has paid off. And that's right. I think both you and I come at a similar point is that we are part of a team when we treat our clients and actually it's teamwork so we can give our treatment and it's an hour hour and a half and that's great but actually they have to do their stuff too and it's a teamwork to get them out of chronic pain it really is and it's it's also giving them the tools to be able to control and cope and deal with things that then might come up in the future um because if someone has been dealing with something for 10 20 30 years we can make huge improvements and inroads and, you know, certainly get to the point where they're not in pain. Mm. But, you know, there are going to be things that are still there and might take time to get over that they need to go away and work on. And 
And if you don't include them in that process, they become dependent on you. And I think one of the biggest, most important things is giving people control of their bodies. Yes. And if you don't do that and they become dependent on you, you haven't given them that control. And you haven't done your job. No. I would argue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it Different people react in different ways, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people are, are leading very busy lives. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and, you you know, you there's no judgment around it. No. You just try and make do the best you can do. And make the homework short. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Find ways of fitting it into their routine. And, yes. and even if it is just take three deep breaths before you go to bed that night. Yep. You know, that's if that's all you can manage. Totally. Um, but not giving them anything or not including them is is setting them up almost to to have a fail down the line somewhere. We were talking just before we um, started recording and I was saying to Mike that um, I have clients who come in and say, can we do the anatomy class and the homework first, please, before the treatment? So I've got a vague idea of remembering it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, there is that kind of like you come to a clinical massage and you learn. I think that's the the thing I love about it is that our clients learn. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I say, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm guilty of giving over probably a little bit too much. Oh, way too more much. More than they want. Completely. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's good for, good yeah. for them, but uh, probably more than they expected to get when they came in. They don't need to learn Latin, though. I need no. to remember that. <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I need to learn Latin either, but it's a part of the job. <laughs> yes. People say, oh, I've got a second language in Spanish. And I think that's really, really amazing. But yeah, Latin is my base language. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't string a sentence, but I can give you a lot of, uh, of verbs and, yeah, absolutely. and a lot of nouns. <laughs> the thing I love about it, though, is that like quadratus lumborum, it is just a quad, quad for lumborum, lower back, Bobby's your uncle. It's quite specific, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when you see it for the first time... It, I can remember just kind of like going... Harry oh, Potter spell, doesn't yeah, it? It's absolutely. Just, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, Harry Potter, the basis for... Most everything at yeah. Cornerstone Therapies. <laughs> so what is it about chronic pain that keeps you going back to work each day? I think every day is very different. I love working with people and having a connection with people. And to be able to to be able to help people, you know, generate a connection and, and in all honesty, a friendship with yeah. with people. Um and and do something that you love is yeah is priceless and if i could do it with without getting paid i would but it's also in a selfish way because i love doing it yeah i was going to say, you can't do this gig without an absolute passion for it no you can't half half heart it no no not at all and you do invest uh, uh we were talking uh, again before we we started recording about how you know taking on people and having that connection but then stopping that at the end of the day mm. uh, and I think you're probably from what you were saying a bit better than I am at that. So we were talking about state change and for the therapists out there that are listening um, this is actually a concept by Gil Headley and he taught me it while we were in St Andrews and it's after you've had a day and you need your senses changed and how what what are you looking at smelling touching and how are you desensitizing yourself after your day at the treatment room and I think yeah it's a very important part of my processing and when I get back I'm 
absolutely going to get a bucket of gravel and, and yeah. rub my hands in it at the end of the day. I Definitely. think, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yes, I I really enjoy it, and I think it's we we care a lot for our clients. You know, it's not that we just think about them when they're there. It's we think about them, we treatment plan for them. You know, we read their notes, we write their notes, we review, and they're very much part. You know, it's not just the time that they're in our studios. Absolutely, and and research as well, and and professional development. Yeah. You know. A lot of the time that is geared by the patients that I will treat. I'll, I'll have some patients come in, you know, chronic pain can be quite complicated and, and certainly people sometimes come in with, with conditions that I'm, I'm not necessarily seen before um, and, and sometimes multiple conditions and want to help them and, and that goes beyond just your, your working hours and I'm grateful for them because then I learn something for sure. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, they they definitely it's a two way street. I, I get out of it as much as they do, but you do you learn a lot outside of of work uh, that is all I think attributed to to the patients that come in. Yeah, uh, Robert Schleip is working with the Fascial Hub in July. He's doing a two day conference over a weekend, and it's on scar tissue release and. I've just finished my MSc and I thought I'd never go back into a classroom again. And I've booked on. So I've got a new client with some really funky scarring over their quads. It's just like, yeah, that, let's go. Let's let's rock this. And it's just like, you do get that absolute passion. You can never stop learning about the human body. And you can see that passion in your face because you're grinning ear to ear as you say it. <laughs> I am quite a nerd. I'll, I'll admit that. But yeah, that passion, right? I just, oh, there's just something about it that just is overwhelming at times at the wonderment of this form oh i'm not sure it's a topic you want to get me started because yeah, I, do, I will talk for no, hours go, go for it <laughs> it's the the greatest structure there's a lot of information out there and a lot of mini documentaries and a few that are more well known than others um around fascia and it's as a compound and as a as a substance the it's makeup, it, the way it reacts, its properties is there, there just is nothing else like it. And it's absolutely fascinating. And, and I would urge anyone, you know, you see these programs on, on space and people learn about black holes and, and just your average person who isn't necessarily into astronomy would be fascinated by it. And I think you would get the same from exploring fascia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because it, it it would it blows your mind when you you sit down and really learn how it can adapt, how it can build its within itself new bridges and change shape, but then also have this memory and it, it's just incredible. It really is, and I think the thing that I will never forget: I was in the dissection lab in New Jersey, and I saw uh, the ribs being lifted. And in one one section, and I was at the bottom of the um, gurney, and I was able to see it kind of like from that point. And I was I was just struck by the fact that we are living in this form, but it's not what it it's not who we are. There's something else also, and yet you look at the structure of it and you go, "What else could there be?" Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you go to the depths of our bodies and you think, "Well, that still doesn't make the person that person." No, and you you've got this amazing kind of like integrated web throughout the body that is just holding you together yeah and i can get quite spaced out on that one absolutely oh god i couldn't agree with you more it's like i say i could talk for hours on it and uh, 
That's why you're here. Generally, I think people would probably think we're going mad. That's fine. We can do that. We can have that as our podcast title, The Mad One. (laughs) But what is, how did you find fascia? How did you find that? So how did I discover it or how do I feel about it? How did you Uh, discover it? I first learned most substance of what I know about fascia through uh, the training that I did um, down at the Jing School in in Brighton. And um, I did a fascia release course down there, three-day course, which... When you're learning about something as fascinating as that, whilst learning how to manipulate it is is just mind-blowing. I'd learned a lot of anatomy and physiology from my background in sports massage and uh, my physiology background in the sports science degree I did, and, and a lot to the extent of, of what I did with orthopedics within the NHS. And at no point in all of that, which is amazing, that I had come across fascia you just mm. it never came up there it was never tall I could name all the muscles yeah. in the body um which you know don't be wrong are important but to not even have the, the the topic or the concept of fascia come up was was incredible given how important and integral it is yes I found it really mind-blowing that it's not mentioned in any anatomy physiology textbook that you would get I don't think. No. It's it's definitely something that has come up in the last, I'd say, 10 years. It's something that people were starting to edge into with research. The really scary thing is, as someone who's worked alongside orthopaedic surgeons, um, who I have a lot of love and respect for, is unfortunately a lot of the consultants I don't think are really aware of how important it is and how much damage can be done to it. Yeah. Uh, and how much damage is done in your average surgery. Um, because a lot of the pathways of rehabilitation from surgery that they perform does not include any work around scar tissue or fascia or anything. I get quite concerned with keyhole surgery and my client's reaction to when they've had it. So I've only got these three little scars and it's just like, but the turmoil that those three little scars have had is, is the same as if you had been cut open from hip to hip. I mean, it's just like it's huge and your fascia has had to deal with metal in it and you've moved things around and you've cut things out and you've removed stuff. And it's just like those aren't three little scars. And it's sometimes it's a little bit easier to have a, a nice long visible scar. Yeah. You know, when you're kind of laying foundations, you can lay a, a thin layer of concrete down and and it will do a job but if you really want support you know you you drill down deep and you kind of lay a tube of concrete down and and that is is essentially what happens with with the arthroscopies and the keyhole and and it and it does exactly like you say it has a real effect it's just you can't see it and mm. that's what a lot of people relate to understandably yeah and i also think that when i've seen clients with keyhole surgery is that the pain that they're experiencing say three four six months later they don't feel that it's justified or they they don't have the justification to complain about it would be a better way of saying it yeah because it's only three little scars yeah and i think psychologically scars have a huge amount to play on how we interact with our rehab boy i mean it's a literally a visual reminder isn't it it's um i mean there's People use that term scar as something that's everlasting that affects you. You know, if you're scarred by something yeah. in a metaphorical sense, you know, you're and and you're right. It's it's something that is almost assumed you have to deal with. Mm. Um, well, you've you know, you've got a scar. 
oh, that'll, you know, that'll probably get be tight and that'll probably be this. And yeah, there's no sympathy around scars. None. And it's so sad. I think also the thing with fascia, when we kind of get into fascia with scarring that I find really interesting is that how it twists um, and how it rotates and how it can sometimes just turn the whole body. Your whole body ends up talking towards or against that scar and suddenly you've got kind of like you may have had knee surgery but your shoulders now kind of like moving towards it or away from it and how you can release that and give it some breath which if you mention to the average person sounds like you've witchcraft yeah (laughs) we're back to harry potter yes (laughs) but it's it i mean it's so fundamental it really is and there's so much information and research and so much literature on on how how impactful that can be um but unfortunately it is a lot of that information is restricted to small circles yeah and that information getting that information out there and educating people is like as we said earlier is something i spend a lot of time doing yeah i think it'd be it's i mean the fascial conferences that are being held now annually some of them biannually it's getting it's good to have research published within those environments now and the journals are taking it up more and people like Stecco and Stecco are doing phenomenal jobs. I was amazed to find out the other day, um, I will try and find the paper and link it in the description, is that um, there's ligaments between the skin and superficial fascia. I mean, there's like no room to have a ligament, yeah. but suddenly they're there. <laughs> and it's like, wow, and we just keep learning. It wasn't all that long ago. They, uh, I can't, I mean... Must be four or five years ago now, I guess. They uh, they found a new ligament in the knee. I think. Uh, I, I mean, don't push me for what it's called, but uh, they, yeah, they were like, oh, we've, just, you know, and that's where we are. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we, like you say, we're still learning, and the, the the biggest mistake we can make is assuming that we know everything. Yeah, that's the dangerous one. I find um, I ha- I personally have quite a bit of therapy. Um, I really enjoy it. <laughs> Um, but I will work with therapists who are regularly updated and I need to know that they're still being trained and still going out to get new knowledge because it it changes so quickly and our ability to treat chronic pain, to treat fascial restrictions, to treat emotional scarring that's having a somatic outpouring. I think that's just really important to just keep your finger on the pulse of something that you're interested in. Just choose something and just follow it. Absolutely. I did a talk a couple of years ago around the different professions of, uh, you know, not that I'm the ultimate expert, but it was to a very young audience. You are today. <laughs> <laughs> it was to a very young audience who who wanted a bit of guidance on the difference between osteopaths, physiotherapists, massage therapists, and who you would go to see for a particular problem and why you would perhaps, you know, maybe in a career sense sort of view, why would you go into a certain profession? And the ultimate answer really behind that was it doesn't really matter which profession you start off in and what training you you start with. Of course, they have slightly different approaches and backgrounds, but I would regularly find myself now on training alongside osteopaths and physiotherapists, along um alongside doctors, alongside occupational therapists. Mm. And we're all learning the same information, right? There's no yeah. there's no information that is just relevant to one sector uh, or, or one particular job role. And exactly as you say, I I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend any profession in particular. I would recommend the individual. Yeah. Um and it's uh, the individual that will 
will keep learning and wants to learn and is open to taking on new skills. And I think because the, the, the topic is so broad, you can't help as you go through your career in specializing in one particular area. Um, and sometimes, as you say, with the cluster headaches, that area chooses you, perhaps. Yes, absolutely. And it's there for a time. You know, sometimes I'll find that I've done six months mainly on hips. Yeah. You know, it'll just, you'll have that, those themes that roll in. You do. Uh, and, and, you know, if you find a particular passion for that, you can take it further. And, and you do end up with people as they go through their careers will tend to specialize in, in other things. And I've done training in areas that I wouldn't necessarily advertise that I treat. And it's not that I can't um, or that I'm not interested in that. Um, and I wouldn't turn anyone away, but I have other areas that yeah. because I've had the, because there is just not enough time to learn everything in all areas. There just isn't as much as I'd love there to be, you know, there's just seven days in a week. And um, once you've done all the chores at home, like it's, there's only so much. So you do, you, you tend to specialize in a certain area. And, and once you've found the, the person that can help you, that is, is invaluable. I trained as a beauty therapist 22 years ago and fell in love with, with massage through that. That's how I started. It was just very kind of like, yeah, let's go there. <laughs> and just like a, yeah, rabbit in headlights. It's like, oh, wow, this whole new thing. Let's go. And um, was it quite broad, the, the beauty therapist training that you did? So or did you... I was supposed to go study philosophy, theology and ethics or something particularly brainsome. And um, I had missed the university intake through traveling and came back and my dad very wisely said, you need to get a job. And I said, okay. And I was qualified in nothing. And our local tech college, the only place they had left was nail art. And I thought, I can always make a buck if I travel again doing manicures. Let's do that. And it was the hand massage. Oh, okay. And a year later, I had my sports therapy, anatomy and physiology, did all that. And then, and I think that's the joy of vocational training, right? Because you don't have to be in anything for too long. You can really follow your passions around. And if you do get a passion for massage, then you can follow that and you can dip in and out of training with a whilst doing your profession, you practice your profession as you learn. And I think that's that's underrated. Also apprenticeships, I think. Massively. Um, I think uh, having a, a, a craft, you know, having a, an area that you you practice um, and, a, and a talent that you can nurture, like you say, you can take that in different directions. And, and also, as you say, if you wanted to travel, you can take that with you. You know, you are your, your profession. Yeah, I haven't traveled since, but you know. <laughs> but you could if you wanted to. I could, to. <laughs> absolutely. And I think it's, um, you're right, it's that something will get you, something will excite you enough to kind of pull you along with this career. It's not that you, I, I can't imagine ever stopping. No, no. You you do it's it starts to become in your blood a little bit I think once you go down that route and I would encourage anyone to to explore it but you do find that there is a certain buzz and a certain a fulfillment that you get with working with people on a one to one basis listening to people I said it before you know that connection it's especially in this day and age we we don't have as many connections I don't think. Mm everything is a lot more virtual and everything is a lot more fast paced. 
uh, and you don't really have time to connect with people and really learn about people. And it certainly changed a lot of my perspectives going through what I've been through with patients and what they've dealt with and a huge amount of, of respect for people seeing what people go through and what people endure and, and what people put up with and, and still have a smile on their face. And um, I think that is, has, has really changed my life, you know, in a, in a kind of profound way in fear of getting a bit deep. No, deep is good. Um, I, th- <laughs> I think it's um, what is not talked about enough in therapy is the investments that our clients make into this process. It's like they invest their time, they invest their finances, they invest their weekly routines to come see us. And, and a lot of trust. And a huge amount of trust. And often when you've got people with chronic pain, they are lacking in trust because, as we've said, <laughs> we're the last people that they, they will see. Yeah. And they're, I think they need a absolute applause on what they go through just as a way of kind of like getting and also just congratulate them for going that deep for seeking change in their yes. life you know with fascia work it's it's very hard to um communicate with myofascial work is that unlike purely muscle release fascia changes you it, there's a profound change with with fascial work um you get emotional you know your body changes you go on a journey of undoing stuff that you never thought you had to deal with and in a society that doesn't like change oh my word do we do it we do and with our bodies you know like the most important commodity that we have Mm. you're right it's it takes a big effort to go to uh, we are essentially strangers yeah and trust in them where with quite personal information sometimes and put yourself out there and and ask for help, which we're not great at doing. And then sometimes, you know, blindly follow to begin with, you know, for all the information we can give. And in the beginning, you know, it's, it's a bit easier when you start to make progress and people can see the benefit for themselves. But in the beginning, you know, that, you know, you always say the first step is the hardest step. Um, and it's never, never more true than, than when you're going to someone with 20 years worth of pain and, and suffering and, um, let down because you know you've not been able to be helped and you put it all out there and and let a stranger you know have all the information you know warts and all about you and your life and which is not something you do every day and and if ever really um and so and I think that only works to build that connection um and I I have so much respect uh, for everyone that that comes through and even those that don't because of those barriers and and we always strive to try and get as much information out there to try and convince people that there is a possibility there can be help Uh, but you completely understand the people that that do suffer in silence and I've had people that have contacted me and I had one recently to say that their sister was struggling a lot struggling a lot with mental health and a lot of that was built around chronic pain Mm. and actually you know they'd expressed some quite traumatic and dark honest feelings about how they were not coping Mm. and we I had a a chat with the the sister and said you know we can there is hope and we'll never make any promises but I can promise that I will do everything I can and there is a good chance we can help even if it is in just this capacity Um, and that individual didn't you know she spoke to her sister but but she didn't want to come in and and I completely respect that and understand that and 
I can, you know, do as much as I can do to to give them the information and but it is very hard and and it's I don't take it lightly that people do put that trust in in us. And I think also when our clients, I mean I have a few clients that won't admit they're say, seeing a massage therapist. It's like massage is not something that they'll put in their diary. A lot of the time, um, because their calendar's shared with partners or work or whoever, is that I'll often be classed as physiotherapy, which I'm not at all. But it's it's almost like the they need an okay way to say I'm being touched. Yes. And how touch is actually the thing that they're trying to communicate. I just need touch right now and this is what I'm going to do and this is my thing. But I find the whole kind of like how we communicate that need for healing touch quite interesting as you know because yeah we've talked about it a lot <laughs> yeah but it's not just you know the sessions uh especially when you deal with the more chronic cases they go beyond the touch and oh totally and, yeah you know that and i will always always make sure people are aware that i am not a psychotherapist no. and i'm not a counselor and but there is such a link between that physical and emotional sense that it's inevitable that some of that will come out in yeah. in the sessions and you know you always then try and guide them in the direction if if that's what they need and it's really important that you kind of take that into account that like you say it's people struggle with the idea of justifying they're going for touch but then to kind of talk to people and explain to people that you know they they're going for massage it's hands on and that's what they need but also they need to talk a little bit about it and Actually, they need to might bring up a trauma that happened, you know, 20 years ago that people just assume that they've dealt with. And and it's really hard. Sometimes I find that people people struggle with going home to partners or family and and it kind of explaining. And I've had it in the past where partners have asked if they can bring that uh, they can ask. They asked if they can bring their partners in because they struggle to, to explain it and communicate. Yeah, absolutely. It. Especially with fascia work. I mean, it's it's there is no vocabulary to explain what they go through on during those sessions that is easy for somebody who hasn't experienced to understand. It's a deep way of working, sometimes very light, actually. I mean, people will often, if they were to see me work, I'll be holding a head very quietly for 10 minutes. But inside that head, you've got kind of like a thunderstorm going on. Yes. And to explain that to somebody is is understandably very tricky. I've I've had a, a patient that has struggled for uh, literally decades um, around uh, having their stomach touched. And that, that wasn't actually why they came in. It, you know, it was more of a chronic back pain issue. Um, but every time anyone went near their stomach, they would laugh. Uh, and and kind of, it was uncontrollably laugh. Okay. Uh, almost like a, you know, a reflex. And it wasn't that they were ticklish and, and they never really understood why. And they were like, oh no, you know, no, just no one can touch my stomach. Uh, and part of the, the sessions that, you know, we go through, you know, if you've got lower back pain, you do have to not just deal with the back, but, you know, the the, the hips and, and the front of the body as well. And she was open to the idea of us doing that. But as soon as, you know, we kind of went through that, she would, you know, in fact, laugh straight away. And we we spoke about that and, and what that meant. And a, a few traumas came up yeah. that had happened in, in her past. And I spoke to her about, did she want to go down that route? Because that's another point. Not everyone does. Mm, for sure. We Absolutely. find things sometimes that, you know, I can tell to my patients, you have this going on. I know you're here about this pain and I can possibly 
fix that pain to a degree, but it does go deeper than that. Um, but I need to inform you of what that journey means mm-hmm. and how how involved that might become. Um, and, and we had a, a talk and she was happy to explore. And we did a little bit more work and we reached a point where that laughter turned turned into sadness and turned into trauma. And, and she certainly didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and she asked, she went home and messaged me and said, I've tried to explain it to my partner, but I've struggled. And, and would you mind if, if he came in with me? Because I don't know what's happening. So I can't tell him what's happening. And I think partners and family can get quite concerned at that point because they've got this protection over, you know, they see their partner or their family that's quite vulnerable. And if they've not been a part of the sessions, they don't necessarily trust or understand what's going on. Um, And you have to sometimes manage that as well. Yes, I think there's, um, I will make a note to link and reference in the description below um, a really awesome article that, well, it was a scientific journal paper on the memory of fascia. So, and how fascia stores memory and trauma. So I will definitely get that in the bookmarks um but that i find also with the joy of coming into this place of practice we have been given many different tools to work with and for me one of them is hot stones and i find that actually the heat gives and weight of a hot stone gives a huge amount of security before we even get there and i'm still not quite sure why that is <laughs> but for definitely diaphragmatic stomach work it's definitely used a lot because also it's such a vulnerable space in the body it's so soft there's no bone protection around your tummy yes. is there and so i can understand how when a client goes home and says oh they did this work on my tummy it's kind of like that's really personal that's really yes. quite in depth that's where we store our emotions and everything else and if you're a partner who thinks you're just going for a a clinic session what? especially back pain and, yeah. and it's just, you know a lot of people don't necessarily Definitely. why why are you touching their stomach you yeah. know it's their back that's in pain yeah it was just about the office chair while they were homeschooling yeah. you know whatever it was <laughs> it's just like it's i can really understand how they could have been concerned it's like you say it's about educating as much as as possible but you know we're still learning and there's always there's still stuff that you know, we can give an explanation to, but there's still a lot more to learn. And mm-hmm. if I can, I try and encourage people to go and, and research it themselves. But I, I, you know, I feel like that falls on, like I say, I'm a bit more interested than they are sometimes. So I'm maybe. We're on a mission for mini dosing evidence-based practice. Yeah. Here, so. <laughs> <laughs> just mini dose, just read your abstracts. It's all good. <laughs> um. So if there was one, if there was one element of your practice that you would love people to know more about what is it that's a really good question um it would be i get it would be a broad topic it's been a a long time now that i have wanted to create more awareness of the possibilities that are out there going back to what we spoke about earlier around um rather than just trying to get people to trust us um it's showing people and trying to educate people and i think uh for me, it's it's around showing people firsthand what can be achieved, because I think that's the biggest barrier in in a lot of cases. Is I've had people I spoke to someone today. Um, I've had people that have had asthma, uh, struggle with asthma problems for the last eight years, and they're on daily uh, medication, asthma pumps, 
Um, and we've done work on their abdomen, their diaphragm, and and they no longer need the asthma pumps. And mm-hmm. and that's not to say that we can cure asthma with with massage, but you know the causes of breathing difficulties and they vary so much person to person. It's just to say that there are there are tools and people out there that potentially can help you. And it's when people get to that point where they just accept that they have to live with it. Uh, that I struggle with the most because to me there is always something that can be done. And even if, you know, a lot of the arthritis or oncology patients that you work with, it's not that you're going to fix them and cure them, but if you can take their pain from from an 8 out of 10 down to a 2 out of 10 or, you know, get rid of their pain in some cases, you know, the quality of life is is so much more that it changes their life and and as far as they're concerned, to an extent, they are fixed. Mm. And I think it's that's the biggest struggle is people thinking they can't be helped um, and, and getting the message out there that it's worth trying because you would be surprised what can be done. In the end, there is always hope. There is always hope. And as long as you have the hope, and that's the one thing that every chronic pain patient I have has in common is that they all had hope to carry on looking and and I think it's it's important to let people know that that hope is not just blind clutching at straws hope there is a reason for having it and actually I've had hundreds of people that have had that hope and it's paid off well thank you very much for being with us today it's been an absolute joy to have you on the podcast oh it's been my pleasure thank you for having me (laughs) hopefully there'll be a second episode soon (laughs) you can come back and see us anytime excellent well thank you for listening and it's been a joy to be with you today on therapy unwound and I hope you're all enjoying Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is our bookery book of the month this this month. And we will be looking at that in two episodes time. So if you'd like to join us then, that would be fantastic. But until then, go well, keep safe, and we'll see you next Friday at 7am. 